No, that's there was not this... funny coming from someone with a German last name. <laughs> <laughs> that shit's a little bit funny. <laughs> I am your host, Samuel Hansen, and you are listening to Combinations and Permutations, episode 35. On today's episode, we take another trip into thought experiment world where we start talking about things that we are completely unqualified to talk about. Politics. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Combinations and Permutations, the mathematical podcast that comes to you from the Las Vegas Valley. And we are in our hidden location on the second floor of a building. That's right. That's one more hint as to where the hidden location is. I don't know why it's even hidden. I Seriously, <laughs> it's, it's the stupidest idea that I've ever had, but I have to go with it now because I've, I've settled into it. And so we are back from a rather long hiatus brought on by winter break uh, and general scheduling issues that we've had actually getting some people together in a room. But we do now have four of us here together in a room. I, of course, am your host, Samuel Hansen, uh, host of this show, as well as, say, uh, you know, Strongly Connected Components, which you probably go listen to because... Uh, <laughs> Because uh, I uh, did a few interviews while I was at the joint math meetings in San Francisco that were really good, and you know you should just go listen because it's a lot more serious and full of information than we are here. Uh, because we have the master of bullshit, the man with the worst <laughs> hair here by far. Well, I believe he is the Hammerhead or some ridiculous name like that that I've given him at a previous podcast. That is right. I am talking about the one, the only, the asshole. Brandon Metz. <laughs> I'm going to kill you, Sam. <laughs> and that, boys and girls, is why we have him here. And now I'm going to introduce the uh, second guest. That is the man with the best beard ever to have appeared on Combinations of Permutations. That's right. I am denigrating my own father's beard. <laughs> and that is, of course, the one who actually listens to the show. The man with the Photoshop. Check out the forum at acmescience.com slash forum and you will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Cody Palmer. You know, it's funny you talk about my beard. This past weekend I had a, uh, I achieved a life goal with my beard. I went ice fishing and uh, for the first time I've, since I've had my beard, I had little icicles on my beard and that was <laughs> where did you go ice fishing we're in las vegas <laughs> was Plus, this an indoor ice fishing thing like the dubai ski mountain no no it's a place about three hours north of here what? close to the border with utah it's it's good you should it's i i actually i water. i hate i hate winter weather but i do actually enjoy ice fishing ice fishing is a good time and now the last guest everyone's favorite guest <laughs> Except for the asshole. That is right. The Juan Man Show himself, Juan Mariscal. Thank you. Uh, just one quick question. Why do we keep inviting this asshole Brandon here? <laughs> it pisses me off looking at him. Every... <laughs> well, it's because uh, maybe if you're pissed off, you'll actually talk on an episode. 
Gotcha. You kind of, okay. you kind of, <laughs> you kind of, you know, let the yeah. one ups uh, of everyone, uh, you know, go go by the wayside last last time. So um, no, I make because my I don't put up with your shit. <laughs> what was that? What was that? I'm probably your shit. <laughs> That's why. All right, all right, we'll see. They're actually best friends. They <laughs> they share a bed yeah. like Bert and Ernie. <laughs> whoa, 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 that's not what I heard last weekend. <laughs> I heard a different story. Then. Okay, so uh, here on Combinations and Permutations, <laughs> we ramble on a lot, but eventually we uh, get to a topic, and I'm, I feel like I should really specify this as we haven't done one in two months right oh, now. Any cheez its <laughs> and so we get we get to a topic. Eventually, as we are about to right now, and then we uh, spend some time waxing philosophic on that topic, also known as making up completely fictional ways of creating uh, restaurants, mostly uh, Slurpee franchises, to be to be completely fair, on, mm. on the topic. And so, our topic today is one where we are not actually going to be reading from the Wikipedia. This does not happen very often on computation. Combination. <laughs> Last time I was computations here. and permutations. I don't know what the fuck I was about to say. Combinations and permutations. And so, what we're going to talk about today is the effect that despotisms have on mathematicians. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, well, I mean, it, I was. Uh, if you go on Acme Science, uh, there's something I wrote recently that uh, you can read through and see some of my basic thoughts on this. It, was, it all came out of a class I'm in, History of Mathematics, where we were talking about you know, the effect that society, religion, politics can have on mathematicians. And one thing that I thought was very uh, interesting, it, is at least from recent history, is the effect that, say, Napoleon or Hitler... That's right. We're talking about despots. Of course, it's immediately going to go to Hitler. I'm not, I'm not even waiting to go to Hitler. I'm just going to pull it out immediately and talk about it. And uh, one thing that, say, Napoleon, I mean, we all know Napoleon, short mm -hmm. dude, taller than Brandon, but short. <laughs> and uh, That's one, that's strike one. <laughs> and, and so uh, he, uh, he actually is the one who created the Ecole Polytechnique, or Ecole, I don't know. Any e. French speakers, any French speakers like. who, uh, who listen to this are going to be able to email me and yell at me about the, how I'm pronouncing it. Or but the polytechnic just... system. And, and the idea of the polytechnic system is that it was a much more applied uh, scientific study. So you, it was much more on the engineering side of it than it was on studying pure math. And, but they still had some of the amazing, the amazing people, uh, Poisson, uh, uh, Poinceau, uh, Foyer uh, was part of the polytechnic system. And then uh, if you look at Hitler, Hitler uh, and the Nazis, the National Socialist Party of Germany of, of the 30s and 40s, sunk so much money into science, but they only sunk money into applied science. Like, that's all they spent their money on. So I was, is at least my basic uh, hypothesis for all of this is that when you have a despot, they're so interested in power that they don't care very much about theoretics. They're just interested in putting money into applied mathematics. Uh, yeah, I think that would I think that would be true. But now with what's been happening in number theory, with encryptions and and all that stuff, we well, that's see... that's another thing. I mean, Hitler was a direct uh, cause of why uh, cryptography is as far along as it is now. Without without Hitler and you know the Enigma machine and the other ciphers that the Nazis were using, we wouldn't have had people like Turing working at Bletchley Park on these computational machines. Hell, we wouldn't have computers like we do now without them. Working on these computational machines and making incredible breakthroughs in number theory and crypto. 
Yeah, but yeah, and I but I think in general, when you look in history, I think before the times of, of cryptography, you have uh, there is uh, no time before crypto. Crypto goes back to Egypt. Man. Oh yes, this is true. This is true. I, I mean, see. there's the Caesar cipher. I mean, it was a basic uh, rotation <laughs> cipher, but it, the Caesar had his own cipher. Right. Of course, maybe rotation when you're looking at those fucking stupid ass letters that they had meant something more. <laughs> so I. I think that I think that most of the time, despots just really don't care about stuff like pure math, um, and surprisingly, I I think that just from my own recall, they kind of have a live and let live policy, uh, as as far as as far as I can remember. Of course, until um, your Archimedes, or is it was it Archimedes or? Uh, who mouthed off to the Roman soldier about his circles? Archimedes. Archimedes. Yeah. And then he got... Fuck with my circles. <laughs> That's exactly what yeah, he we said. Yeah, we had an episode on that a few episodes back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> that was... Uh, until, until you do something like that. And <laughs> you get stabbed. Yeah, despots yeah. are not exactly known for dealing very well with, you know, mouthing off. <laughs> but, oh, man, I'm trying to think of some other... Uh, some other and then... Uh, Although it seems like pure mathematicians seem to do good under uh, uh, under communist Russia, although I don't know if, if that, that is qu- true. qualifies as a despot yeah, it, or not. Well, so. depending on what era, uh, because some of the Russian rulers were definitely despotic, some of them were not. Uh, but if you think back to, like, say, Stalin, I don't remember too much pure math coming out of Russia during that time period. And I'm sure that there was some, because Russia's enormous. Right. But yeah, no, that that is true. So maybe it's uh, short-term despotisms. So in the maybe in the beginning, because when they get uh, farther along and they've become, say, a world power like the USSR was, you need to also be making contributions to the overall scientific community just so that other people respect you. Is it, is it just me and Cody talking about this? I thought we had two other people in the room. Well, with uh, with despots, I think um, that. Great, great mathematicians aren't. They don't get involved in math because because the government's pushing it because of the funding. They're involved in math because they love math, and that's why that's the only reason why they are pure mathematicians. There isn't going to be, you know, someone who's trying to make money, trying to come up with a great invention in life, um, and go, you know, aim for a PhD in abstract algebra or um, in real analysis. You know, as much as I as much as I love those, I'm a pure mathematician myself. I just it's really you can't you can't just use it that much in life yeah but i mean as you said i mean people people love mathematics and that's the reason that they tend to do it (laughs) but one thing is it seems like those type of people the people interested in theoretical research seem to get the fuck out of these countries brandon do you have anything to add to this i i agree (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, i wish i i did know a little bit more about the the politics behind all this you know i i i unfortunately do not well (laughs) you're so close i don't really have anything to say i just (laughs) well i mean let's let's just think about it just from a i mean we're we're mathematicians right like that's what that's what we do as a matter of fact, uh, congratulations to Cody, who is now one of us. He is now yes. a grad student. He yep. owns a bachelor's in mathematics. I have an office with my name on it. Well, yours <laughs> we and two do. other people. Three other people. 
Three, oh, you have a the, full office. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, unlike us. But <laughs> four, so, you, so you're uh, almost like us. Yeah. Four, <laughs> people, four <laughs> people, three desks. Yeah. It doesn't take a mathematician to figure that out. <laughs> All right. Wait, say what? Four? <laughs> <laughs> I think Just said, those are four. numbers. Uh, can you express <laughs> this <count>. in letters? <laughs> <laughs> in words or letters or uh, symbols? Can, can you somehow no apply the pigeonhole principle to this? Let, let X be the number of people. Let Y be the number of desks. Okay, okay. And so if X is greater than Y, you have a problem. You have a line that's an inequality, and you have a picture <laughs> that's shaded, right? Is that what it is? Okay, so so let's let's abstract this. As a matter of fact, we're not all just mathematicians; we are all pure mathematicians. So let's oh, damn it, yeah. Oh, yeah. So so yeah. let's actually abstract this. Let's see if we can come up with some sort of math problem, or you know, math way of describing what happens in a despotism, at least in the sciences. So let's let's take let's take uh, for our first thing. Let's actually try to describe the despot. So what are what are the basic uh, characteristics of of despots? Narcissism. Okay. Egomania. Okay. Just saying, are you describing yourself? <laughs> well, this is this is what I'm. That's why I haven't been talking. I've never, I've never fantasized about being a despot. <laughs> okay, so I mean, they they tend to be very egomaniacal so they believe mm -hmm. that uh what they think is right is right correct okay yeah they they have <laughs> some sort of desire on some level for for absolute power okay uh, so so egomanian power they also seem to have some sort of agenda whether they don't know what it is whether it's conquering the world or cleansing a country well, they usually have they usually have some sort of agenda they want to accomplish, and they do. Usually do you feel that uh, perhaps that agenda is actually just put out there to uh, exert control over people, give the people oh, yeah, something? Absolutely, it's there to manipulate so, the people to okay, rally them so, together. So they're also very manipulative. So yes. let's let's break yes. this down into like the most basic. Let's let's figure out the axioms of the despot. So <laughs> manipulative, uh, power seeking, uh, egomaniacal. <laughs> Got a lot of dead air here. Uh, so egomaniacal. So what? What are other yeah. things that when we think of, uh, they also tend to be charismatic. It, because I oh, mean, yeah. just being manipulative is not enough. You also have to be able charming. to present yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, some way charismatic. You can be. You can be a charmer. Like uh, I don't. I don't know enough about despots to know exactly who's a charmer. But you can also be uh, a very good orator. I mean, as as mm -hmm. much as. As much as I don't like Hitler, the man had a way apparently with the German language, since I have to say apparently because I don't actually understand the German language. Uh, but in, And he was able to, he also had a very good knowledge of human psychology. He knew how, but that's just back to manipulative. So I mm -hmm. so want to basically say an egomaniacal, power-seeking, charismatic manipulator. Sounds good. Sounds yeah, so so let's that. let's take that as the axioms of someone who uh, becomes a despot. Okay, so we have the so we have our axioms of the of the despot. So now, um, so if we're trying to model this, so so we need the despot, but we also need uh, a culture that is ripe to be taken over too, right? Like that's yeah. that's so the I mean these are some of our initial conditions. You need the person. But you also need a place that is able to be taken over by that person. Like, say, the United States right now is probably one of those places that is partially right. Uh, but, say, Sweden right now isn't. 
Mm-hmm. I, th- so, I think that one of the things is that your citizens have to be fed up. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so they, they, need, they want change or split. Desperate. Yeah. I mean, it, it like one sp- group can be fed up. One right. group, you know, but the majority of people. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. So they need something. So a popu- a populace that is lacking on hope or something to really follow and believe in. Okay. Um, now we need some. I mean, it has to be more than that too. Uh, Usually, well, yeah, because that can be an economic downturn. That can be a lot of different things. So basically, can anyone think of anything else that's really necessary? And there's other things that would be sufficient, but what about necessary? Because we need, I mean, we're mathematicians, so we need the if and only if. So necessary and sufficient conditions. Because <laughs> I'm not seeing anything else on this. Like no. that. I mean, desperate takes uh, desperate. Um, the so, so a desperate populace. Something. Yeah. A, a that, that pop- takes in so many A majority things. of the populace yeah. being desperate. Yeah. Whether okay. it's crime, economy. Okay. And mm-hmm. so, um, so that's, I mean, those are the basic initial conditions you need. And now mm-hmm. let's, let's take as a given um, that, that this has happened, that the despot has taken over this populace. And so what are the effects post-despot? If we want to keep on modeling this, if we keep on thinking this as a modeling problem. So what happens to the, uh, say it was a, you know, a sweeping thing like the Bolshevik revolution or, uh, you know, how Napoleon took over France. So um, this is a big sweeping thing and almost everyone's in favor. So now what's the populace like? I, I, think, they're, I think they're happy for a while. Yeah, so no, I'm saying I, yeah. initial conditions. I, 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 th- I think they're I think they're satisfied. I would yeah, say they're sati- yeah. I think satisfied. They're satisfied because they now they have something to stand by. They have someone to stand behind. Yeah, and someone yeah. and something because <clears throat> it's it's the agenda that you alluded yeah. to. Um, it creates this uh, dichotomy almost. It's uh, where it's, everyone's united, but if you're not with the general population, then you're against. You're, you're, you're then you are against. against. Yeah. yeah, and so you are you are driven either yeah. underground, out of the country, or tossed in jail. Exactly. Or so, killed. yeah. What? Well, yeah. Yeah. That's that's true. I I should not have actually skipped that. So you're taken out of the equation somehow. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so now now let's take these as our initial conditions. So now let's try to think. Let's try to model what happens to the sciences here. Oh no, we forgot about talking about one other initial thing, which is. The despot after the takeover. Because remember, we have a manipulative charismatic uh, who's egomaniacal and desperate for power. So now he has that power. But people in power, especially manipulative, egomaniacal people in power, require one thing. More power. More power. Mm-hmm. So, there, so can we agree that in general, if we take this as our abstract despot, the one thing that he's going to require the most uh, is going to be more power. Like that's the one thing his mind is going to be focused yeah, absolutely. on. Absolutely. Yes. And uh, even to the point where uh, he might start uh, forgetting to whip the population population into a frenzy as much as he needs to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so we can, we can basically agree on, on that. So now let's, now let's look at the sciences. So, this this despot he's in power, and, and he has grasped power behind a massive groundswell of people or a massive groundswell of military power. Because those those are two ways the despots come into power. But let's let's just think about the groundswell of popular uh, things. So now he is the sole power wielder of a country, and so this country has some educational and scientific system. 
Now, since the one thing he requires is more power, what is he going to require of the scientists? Now, I, I think that that actually depends because uh, on the one hand, you have somebody like, and if there's any Catholics listening, I'm sorry, there's somebody like the Pope in the, uh, in the Middle Ages. I, I think that the Catholic Church could be at times considered despotic. Yeah, that, that, um, I, I believe that is but true. But now, for them, for the scientists, he was requiring that they shut up and not go against what the church says. On the other hand, you have somebody like uh, maybe Hitler, who now demands that the sciences work to further his agenda uh, instead of... Uh, and that should be what their focus is, not coming up with theory, but coming up with... Um, results. Results, exactly. But... I. Uh, uh, even the even with the Vatican, while they they were requiring that people shut the fuck up, but those people were people like Galileo. What about people who are doing engineering type work? Well, I, I guess you have. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, Da Vinci. Yeah, Michelangelo, who were I guess painting. Uh, well, know, but Da Vinci but, was yeah, doing right. a decent He's doing amount. Doing a hell of a lot more than that. Yeah. And and like the people, mm. uh, the Roman aqueduct system in, you know, early Roman Catholic time as well. I, it's, I mean, I'm, I might be wrong, but you are right. There is, there is a sort of split there. There's the people who require that scientific, no new scientific results happen. Uh, but I would imagine they, that they'd be okay with people harnessing current scientific results. So can we agree, like, one of two things, either you're going to harness the stuff you know, you're not going to have any new research into areas that you don't know. There's also the possibility but, that another, <clears throat> excuse me, there's another, there's another way of looking at it too. It, I said that before that, you know, the despot requires results of scientists then. Okay? Yeah. Well, that, he may not. It all depends. If he's against someone, then yes, he would want to be... Like, for example, the Nazis versus, you know, the Axis versus the Allies. Yeah. The whole reason that results were demanded were to get the one up on the other side. Yes. Yeah, I but, mean, like I mean, with the V2 <clears throat> rockets and things yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, so, but there. Are, what about occasions when they're not trying to, when you're just taking in power, you're not necessarily, like, they may not think that they need right away results from scientists, like new technology to overcome someone else because, well, they may not need it. It might not be part of that. It may be a long time down the road before, because they may, they may be ahead of everybody else already. So it could just pass by the despot. He may not even, real, he may not even think about it until someone else comes up with something and then he realizes we need to get our shit in gear. Okay, well, then I'm going to put a restriction <clears throat> on our model here and that is that he does need. Like, he's, it's, the restriction is, is that this is something where... Okay. There are competing powers. Okay. So there is some competing power. Whether or not it's in direct armed conflict, that's not necessarily part of it. But there is some, you know, at least a Cold War style situation going on. So let's restrict our problem to those situations. All right. So, so I, I do actually agree a bit with, with the idea of the, with the Catholic Church in that, uh, but in that you may actually require something mm. else of scientists too. Uh, you may require that scientists go along with your anti-scientific agenda. So you you might have you might have might have a want to have scientists do a lot of engineering problems. You know how do we get water from here to here? How do we make people healthier? You know your your basic mm -hmm. your basic uh, 
you know, food, water, shelter, air questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you might also require, you know, people like, say, Galileo to say that they were wrong. To actually directly contradict and not and say it's modern time, not only contradict, but fudge results so that there is so-called proof. And I believe that this happened a few times with the USSR during the Cold War period, where scientists on our side came out with something that directly uh, contradicted some you know dogma of the USSR, and they required their scientists to come up with some study that showed that we were wrong. So yeah, I mean there is mm-hmm. there is also that that side of things as well. I I believe, and, but then there's the more direct example, the Napoleon and the Hitler example, where you uh, people are also going to harness the you know new results, and, and there were some theoretical results that came out, but they were always theoretical results on the way towards an application. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that you could think of it too, as far as maybe not. Maybe they don't fully understand the the power. I think of Hitler and um, the possibility of Germany getting a nuclear weapon. Um, I think in a lot of ways had been. I don't think, if I recall my history collect history correctly, it was not something Hitler was entirely motivated to do. Uh, well, he kind of also got screwed by all of his scientists leaving him. This is true. This is true. So uh, it, now let's now let's take a take a look at that part. So I mean, we can assume that that the person in power at least is going to require something directly of the scientific community, and whatever that is, it has to fall directly in line with him. He's not going to. Uh, can we agree maybe on this idea that a despot is not going to uh, give funding to scientists unless they're doing something directly related to his agenda? Of course. Yes. If he gives them funding at all, he may give them no choice at gunpoint. Yeah, but I, I, I don't mean funding as <laughs> um, in paying yeah. paying the person, funding as in lab equipment and... Just, just support in general. Support, yeah. <clears throat> okay, so now let's, let's look at the other thing. One other massive result of despotisms is that people leave. So what do you do if you're, say, Hitler, uh, and the best minds in your country have left... So I mean, this is a this is a basic education sort of sort of question because obviously the only way to do it, I mean, you could kidnap a bunch of scientists from another country, but let's just say that that's not what's going to happen. So how do you build back up? Like, in what way do you build back up uh, your education system if you are, or your scientific system if you're a despot and a large amount of your scientists have left? I think you have to start at the beginning. You have to you have to set something up like the. Uh, polytechnic system. I won't even try to say the French name, uh, like Napoleon did. I think that that that's something you have to set up and at least make make the idea of of studying in your country attractive uh, exactly. to other people, your own citizens, and even possibly. Well, it has outside. to be to your own citizens when you're in uh, despotism. Yeah. Very few people come in. Yeah, but um, I guess that is one thing you could try to aim to set yourself up as a theoretic powerhouse. So that might be one time when theory would actually run to the benefit. So mathematical theory, can you imagine if, uh, if say, the USSR had sunk a huge amount of money into just creating the best theoreticians in mathematics and creating their schools to be the best mathematical theory places in the world? Because they, they could have done that. And then you have a lot of people who would have ended up going over there. We could all be recording this in Stalingrad right now. 
I do like vodka. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, I mean, I guess, I guess that is a fair point. But it's not just obvious. I, I do agree. They definitely have to either build on the existing or perhaps tear it down. A tear it down and build up a new one. But what sort of aims do you put in your scientific education? In, if, you're, if you're a despot and you're trying to train scientists to do your bidding, essentially, um, what, what, in what way do you educate them? If you're a despot, how are you going to educate a mathematician? Are you going to do what um, the English system or the United States system does and try to give them a good, broad education and then focus them? Or are you going to focus them right away, like from six years old, someone who shows any aptitude towards science? Are they going to get ripped away and just made to do it? Now, if I'm if I'm leading a country, definitely you want to start... And, and you're a dictator. Yes. Well, which isn't, of course, wouldn't be the right path. Of course, you in order to make a good mathematician, you want to give them a very broad understanding of most ideas so that when they... Well, that's, you, that's specify, our belief. Yes, but that's if... That's our belief. As a dictator, and I have a gun, and I, can, I have the right to... Or I... Ability. I'm able, ability is the word. Um, to point at someone's head, say, you're going to do exactly what I want, then I want them focused at the specific area that, I, that I'm going to have them um, study you know, when they're you know, 30 at the age of you know, 12 or whenever they're able so to the, understand So these. the East German weightlifting team version of uh, mathematical training. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think another great example <laughs> of that is uh, gymnasts in China. You know, yeah. When those kids are two, three years old, they're taken away from their parents and they do gymnastics. I mean, they get some other education, but they, they live for gymnastics. So, and that's... so do you feel that if there's a way of testing mathematical aptitude at that young of an age, which it's a lot harder than testing for athletic aptitude, right. uh, do you think that, say, in a place uh, like China, which is not a, not a proper despotism, right. but is, is a place that has things that happen like that, do you think that people would be taken away and started tra- hardcore training? I think so, yes. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Why not? But, but I mean, as you say, I mean, and, and I happen to agree with you, I think that good mathematicians also have a view of the world. And as, as you can see, or as, as obviously we do, we've all been trained to think about the world in another way. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to be talking about this right now. Uh, but uh, what sort of effect do you think that that would have on the mathematical culture of a, of a place if, if people were taken away at a very young age and just trained to do mathematics? It's hard to say what they would, um, how they would view the world coming, living in a world like that to begin with, where that's all they know. Where mathematicians that, you know, that were just introduced to this despotism, they of course wouldn't want to stay, um, being forced to study exactly what they want. So they'll lose a lot of the bright minds that they have. But, but any, what if, what if they, like, I'm saying, I'm saying the two the or new. three year old example. Like, like the, well, as you, I mean, we yeah. just, yeah, people yeah. who are there are going to want to leave, but what about the two or three year olds I, who hard. say get taken away from their family yeah. and trained? It, it's hard for, I think for any of us to say what, how they would, how they would view things, not, you know, us being, I, I can't say open-minded, but able to, um, able to see what the world is like now. I, but what I'd feel is that they, they'd be comfortable living in that world just because that's what they grew up in. They, pro- they wouldn't. <clears throat> I don't think I agree with Juan. They wouldn't. They wouldn't really notice. I mean, if all you knew was <clears throat> get up, you know, eat, do math. 
Yeah, I no no I bad. I mean they would I I agree. I don't think that they <laughs> would be very happy. I wonder what would happen to the mathematic culture. I I think Oh, I see. I go ahead. Go ahead. I I think that and I'm drawing from examples from other disciplines here. I think that the the mathematical culture in that country would become more competitive because it would be about you have somebody behind you uh with a whip who's driving you to do the best, do the best and in in that sort of in that sort of environment, when you're being pushed to be the best, I don't think that that's a conducive environment for collaboration. And so I think that I think that it would become more individually competitive. Well, that raises another point. If collaboration decreases, your breakthroughs, your your big breakthroughs are going to decrease as well. Collab- but it, and no, no, I, I fully agree, and that was kind of the point I was, I was hoping someone would bring up, and, and breakthroughs do decrease. Almost all of math is collaborative at this point. There's, of course, the, the big examples, which is Fermat and uh, uh, Poincaré, but, it, as you, I mean, it, it does become more competitive. Do you, do you feel that, uh, one thing, I, I do feel that it'd be more competitive, but also, I mean, when people start to get older... Uh, do you think that they'd be forced into teams? Like I, I could see a forced sort of collaboration. Yeah, well, that. And and if if you're stuck with that competitive mindset, what do you think would happen in those those teams that are essentially forced to forced to work well, together? I think they would. I think they would make. I think they would come up with results, but it wouldn't be nearly as fast, or it would take even longer. Because one, they're not going to. First of all, they don't want to be there with each other. And so they're not going to cooperate with each other as much. They're going to mm-hmm. do the bare minimum to satisfy, you know, whoever is forcing them. But they're not. They're going to make slow, slow progress because they're forced to work together. I mean, you ever, you ever wanted made to do something you didn't want to do? You always did it as slow as possible. I'm in a room with you. <laughs> strike two. <laughs> Hopefully, I get up to strike ten by the end of this episode. Uh, and and one other thing that I think think would be important to to point out the really big results. Well, actually, let let's talk a little bit about about basic results. Basic results can be get can be gotten in that way. Sit a person in front of the problem, force them to do it. Basic results can be done that way. Uh, you, can, you can have someone who, who has a bunch of reference materials. They'll eventually be able to prove this basic, you know, this basic, you know, not super important result, like some computational thing or something like that. But like big results. From complex. Yeah. Like, like those are, you know, some way of doing them. Uh, but if you look at the big problems, they're not solved in this brute force apply mathematics sort of way are they they tend to be they tend to be done yes that was a rhetorical question it was just a pause to let the listeners think yes i know uh, okay. yeah yeah it's, it's they've already right? stopped listening so. <laughs> <laughs> so they've been thinking long way longer <laughs> um, and so those are tend to be done in a very creative manner so this way of just teaching math to these kids i think would produce a huge amount of results like say the paper that i recently put out and probably the first papers that y'all put out maybe even because i think you have a paper out too right brandon uh not published yet. not published but it's you have a basic paper and it was probably one that didn't require a huge amount of creativity not it was, a huge amount it's anyone could have come up with the same thing yeah it's not very and the same thing with mine 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 was nothing groundbreaking or really even that interesting it was you know it's just a paper 
And so I think there'd be a huge amount of results of the, that type of results. As a matter of fact, I bet there, there'd be a significantly more from a math culture like that than from the United States math culture. Because you're told what to do. You're given a problem, you do it. But I don't know if a culture like that could solve something like Fermat's Last Theorem. See, well, when, uh, because you need that, that sort of ability to make these huge, intuitive, creative leaps a, from topics. There's a big... There's a there's a quite a big variable that comes into play when you're talking about these special problems, and that's the interest. The people who solve these are people who become interested, obsessed with these problems. And that they, is true. And they they learn every aspect that this thing could encompass. And when you're forced to do something, you know you may not have any interest in it. And the people who are interested in something, you know, they're gonna be they're gonna be thinking about it from every different direction and come up with the most creative things. And talking with a bunch of other people about it. And yes. So, I mean... So they may, if they may solve it by themselves, but there have been at least incidental collaborators along the way. Yeah. But, I mean, like, it's just... the in, Interest in a problem plays a big role. Because if not, you're going to get tired of it and you're just going to go on to something else. But the ones that are really interesting are the ones that you will keep going back to, even though you fail every time. And that's the key to solving it. You try everything until you get the right one. Well, the, the question is, is in this culture, can people actually be passionate about math? And I, which is a question I don't think some that people, we can answer. I think yeah, some people would I mean, be, some people would Yeah, I mean, if, they're, if there's someone that's passionate about math, yeah, they're being forced to, but at the same time, they don't need to be forced, forced to. And, but and just does be, that, say you do have someone who's truly yeah. passionate about mathematics, does that forcing hurt their passion? Um, I'd imagine... I was gonna give an analogy, but I think I'll no, no, stop there. Um, well, like with with musicians, you know, yeah. being forced to play at the age of, you know, yeah, math, math uh, and music is zygote tied, age, so. yeah. But um, <laughs> uh, zygote. I think um, I know plenty of musicians who are still passionate about it, even though they were forced to okay. at a very young age. And I, I would like to think that math is around the the same. Um, the same realm. Okay. No, no, no. Fair yeah. enough. That's that's a good yeah. analogy. Yeah. Okay. So we started this all off talking about despots, and now we've <laughs> talked about this culture that they could possibly engender. Yeah. So, so this this is what we have so far. A, a scientists will end up having to work at the beck and call of the despot because the despot's going to be the one who controls all of the money, and they control the entire country and can kill you at a whim. And they will probably force you to do something that goes along with their agenda, be it an anti-scientific agenda or a power-grabbing agenda where you do applied math. Now let's say that this despotism has continued for a while. Now what, what at least in, in despotisms throughout history, what generally happens to the populace as the des despotism gets older? They get fed up again. <laughs> they either become desensitized to everything and they just you know go about they go about the the excitement's over and now it's back to normal so things if things haven't changed if the despot has not changed things for the better for them which usually is the case they want something better they want a better form of life you know so they're if, restless again yes they become <laughs> restless because they realize nothing's changed and eventually that's how they turn on the despot because you know they haven't gotten results that were promised to them, which most of the time results are promised to the populace. And that's how many of them come into power. Okay. And uh, the despot by this time has probably just become 
significantly lazy. more desperate to get power, but doesn't actually want to exert any or effort gotten, to do it. Or he's gotten too much power, and he just becomes complacent. And he doesn't yeah. try, he doesn't do anything, he just becomes the fat guy sitting on the throne. Just, you know, soaking up all the, all the, <laughs> he's just sitting there, you know, living the luxur, the luxurious life, and, well, he's going to get his ass kicked soon. That's usually what happens. So, uh, well, what about, what would have happened to the scientific community by now, assuming that they went through this sort of, they prob- let's assume that they went through this forced thing. So, how does the populace view these people who've been taken from them at two or three years old and forced to do this science? Well, they're probably... At- Absolutely pissed off. If it was, the, I mean, if it was, my, hell, I mean, if it was my like child or something, well, I probably wouldn't because I'd be dead because they'd have to kill me. Yeah. But, see, <laughs> but I mean, they'd probably be real. They obviously really upset, and that's they obviously they hate that, and so you know that hate's gonna spread, and they're all gonna be. I don't think the populace uh, would be very happy about it. Well, do you uh, see what I was thinking? You know, just imagining it in this way. Do you think that there would be? This sort of awe and and pedestal, you know, you, up on yes. a pedestal well, what, there's, there's feeling two ways about of looking at scientists. This. There's two ways of looking at this. There's the um, you you know, people absolutely hate this that there's that you know their young their youngsters are being taken away to go yeah. to the train, or the, it can be a position of honor, where oh wow, mine was picked. You know, in a lot of more honor bound societies, oh the the emperor, the Caesar, he picked my child. Oh that what a great honor. So I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. It could be, you know, a great a great honor to do it, or it could be, you know, a travesty. Okay. Yeah. No, I I, I do feel that there'd be there'd be some awe because one thing that that does tend to suffer in most despotisms is education. The people that they want to educate get really good educations, and the people they don't want to educate know nothing. They're screwed. And so I do feel that. Uh, the people who are believed to be good enough to be trained in science, be it if they were trained in a more traditional way or in the way that we are just discussing, I really mm-hmm. do feel that they would be on a sort of pedestal to the basic populace because they'd be the ones who actually know a bit of physics, who can actually describe what's going around, mm-hmm. around in them. So what if, if this, this sort of uh, raising in the public consciousness of, of the level of scientists, because Lord knows it's not very high in the United States, uh, what do you think would ha- would have happened with the scientists? With this sort of reaction to them going around as they go and do things? Uh, I think it's, I think that depends on the, I think in a lot of ways it depends on the person. I'm, I don't know. I mean, if, if people were treating me that way, I'd be a little freaked out. Um, and so I, whereas uh, say Brandon and I would just be soaking it up and becoming <laughs> as, like as egotistical as the despot <laughs> so I but I think that there there certainly would be there certainly would be people who, who did enjoy it and and might take advantage of it some more um, and I, I but I think that the people who, who wouldn't enjoy it would ultimately leave find a way out so and i think i don't think that a top governmental asset like a scientist uh finds it very easy to leave this mythical despotism that i have set up in my head and i am now ruler of <laughs> i want to point <laughs> out that i am now ruler of this despot see how long that lasts hey don't worry you're my second in command you get to take uh, over when i die 
which trust me will be before you do. <laughs> Oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> I know. Okay, yes, so I know. now I have just been assassinated in my own despotism <laughs> by my second in command. I Isn't should that have killed him. The case? <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter. He's short. Uh, he won't be able to hold on to power. Look at what happened to Napoleon. He was forced into exile. <laughs> and he was taller than Brandon. <laughs> Maybe that's the thing. He wasn't short enough. <laughs> okay. He couldn't sneak away fast enough. Okay, so now that, now that we've talked about pretty much absolutely no math, whatsoever hypothesize about things that we're not actually technically qualified to talk about <laughs> no way can we all i'm just wondering if we can come to some sort of consensus on whether or not it would be bad or good to be a mathematician under despotism one go i would say no i i am it's for... a bad or good question not a yes or no question what sort of asshole are you I... That is the answer to my question. Uh, um, what, is, what is red? Good, bad. Good, bad. No, it, it definitely bad. As um, me being where I am. Okay, Cody. Okay. Bad. It's... Oh, it's... <laughs> I have, it's a double-edged sword. Good or bad? You have to make your call. Yeah. I'll say primarily bad. Okay, bad. That is it. Despotisms, according to combinations, permutations, your source for all important information. Despotisms? <laughs> Bad. Have a great week. Well, that is it for another episode of Combinations and Permutations. The music on this episode was from SB12. You can find out more about them over at opsounds.org. And if you want to find out more about this podcast or anything else that we happen to do over at Acme Science. You can check us out at acmescience.com and make sure, please, 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 go over and take part in the forums. Really, it would be fantastic. We have a couple people doing it now, and there's some funny things, especially something funny that Cody put up in there. One of the guests on today's uh, show, you can find that over at the forum. And if you want to leave any feedback about this show, how much you hated it, how much you detest all of us, or perhaps how much you really wish that you were our despot, you can do that by emailing me at samuel at acmescience.com. This podcast is a Creative Commons licensed piece of work, so you can remix it and do whatever you want as long as you attribute it. It's under an attribution share alike license. Once again, I want to thank you all for listening, and I hope that you have a great week.